And you, Dr. Goodhead, your desire to be America's first woman in space will shortly be fulfilled. Leaving you on your flying stud farm, conceiving your new master race. If you like, yes. And of course, anyone not measuring up to your standards of physical perfection will be exterminated. Certainly. Interesting. Most interesting. What do you do when an evil villain wants to wipe out all human life on Earth? You send James Bond to space! This week, we chat about two kinds of gondolas, Bond's multiple misquoting of famous lines, and the least suave way to describe sex. In the end, we'll find out if 1979's Moonraker stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time. I'm James Brief, and joining me once again is my buddy. Introduce yourself, buddy. I mean, should I just go by buddy? Sure, you're you are my buddy. Not like the '80s doll, my buddy. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, and me. Kid sister. Kid sister. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you got to do both of them together. Yeah, you do. Well, my full name is Alan Noah, and Together, we are the Test of Time podcast, and thank you, listener, for pressing play this week. I bet I could do a fun trick, Al. Uh, okay. This is going to be the world's first interactive podcast. You know why? No. Because I can control every single listener right now and make them do something. Well, if you're making them do something, is that interactive? Well, I'm going to say something and then they're going to do based on my command. I'm about to make every single listener touch their face. You know why? Why? Because I heard a fact that said it is impossible to hum while holding your nose shut. Um, Try it out. So like just squeezing my nose. Squeeze your nose and hum. Go for it. Okay, here we go. Like every listener is doing right now. Okay, here we go. <laughs> he can't do it. I mean, you can do it for a little bit. No, you can't. The hum comes from your nose. Well, wait. Name a song. ABCs. Hum it. I mean, fine. <laughs> you can't do it. I, what do you, I got to D. That's not hum. No, that no, was humming. No, you can't do sure, it. Sure, I can't. I'll do it again. <laughs> you can't do it without laughing after four seconds but i got to d so it's not that you can't hum at all it's that you can only hum a little bit i disagree and is there a way for our listeners to get in touch with us in any way yes we are at test of time pod on facebook twitter and instagram send us a video of you trying to hum holding your nose if you clearly have no shame you try it <laughs> you can't do it. What are you talking about? That was that's, perfect humming. No, that's that's grunting. <laughs> anyway. You can make grunting musical. You do not look suave while doing it. Unlike a certain 70s man named Roger Moore. 
So last week we did a Sean Connery Bond movie. We did Thunderball. This week we're doing Moonraker. And James, you wanted to do Moonraker. And I assume just because you heart space. Was there any more to it than that? Well, there is, yes. On Her Majesty's Secret Service and Moonraker are the only James Bond films I've never seen. Really? Well, now you have seen Moonraker. So so now there's only On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I have seen all of them, and I can tell you, having seen On Her Majesty's Secret Service, you don't need to. It's one of those things where if you're like a completist or you're just really curious, go for it. There are worse movies in the world. I haven't seen it in years, but I do remember thinking like, you know, they had some interesting ideas for this script. They really do. And they completely blow it. So it's like, man... If things had been different, that could have been an amazing movie, and it is not. Yeah, it's actually a very important uh, novel. He gets married in that one, and the yeah. wife dies, and it was it, it continues on like the trauma from that for several books. But they don't do it because that was the uh, single George Lazenberry, Lazenby, Lazenberry, Lazenby film. And the reason I'd never seen Moonraker, which I'm sure probably surprises you of, yes, of all it, of these, it, it is very surprising that you haven't seen this movie. It's actually that I had. Heard that this film wasn't good. And in a weird way, I kind of didn't want to be disappointed by it. So I had never seen it. And when we decided to do this, um, I was like, let's see Moonraker. Because I I did want an excuse to finally see it. That's a nice thing about the podcast. It's an excuse to watch a movie that you maybe haven't seen before. So if you haven't seen Moonraker before, dear listener, it's a story of Agent 007 investigating the hijacking of an American space shuttle that's owned by the mysterious industrialist Hugo Drax. Bond teams up with a CIA agent named Holly Goodhead, (laughs) and he goes from California to Venice to Rio de Janeiro, and finally outer space to pursue Drax, who's planning to destroy all human life on Earth. (gasps) That's the total villain thing to do. I mean, I can't off the top of my head remember another Bond villain that wants to kill everyone. I mean, in terms of just like stakes... I feel like this might have the highest stakes of any Bond story. Like killing, you know, 99.99999% of humanity. That's pretty evil. Yeah, and this film, when it came out, it came out in 1979, June 29th. Neither of us were born, and this film had a $34 million budget, which I have to assume was a lot of money uh, yeah. for, for the time. And it opened with $7 million. And, it, I mean, this film made gangbusters. It wound up having a seven times multiplier domestically. It made $70 million off of a $7 million opener, which means people really like this film. I mean, it it must have stayed in the theaters all summer, if you assume the opening weekend was the bigger weekend. And it wound up making $210 million worldwide, a 30 times multiplier from its domestic opening weekend. So, I kind of thought this was going to be one of the, like, looking at it was going to be, oh, okay, that's why they kind of took a few years off. Roger Moore does one more film. He does A View to a Kill, and then the franchise is kind of killed for a while until uh, Timothy Dalton comes. 
Interesting. And we open up uh, with the uh, the space shuttle is on top of a 747. This film gets it wrong. The space shuttle is not an airplane. It's not even much of a, of a spaceship. It's, it's referred affectionately uh, by NASA as a flying brick. So... It's always like literally like strapped to a much bigger rocket and launched into space. Right. And it can't really fly on its own. So when it's when it lands in White Sands or something, it's actually attached to a 747. This is a real thing. You might remember in Superman Returns when Superman saves the the space shuttle that's on top of a 747. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a real thing. So uh, similar to that, this space shuttle is hijacked. Like basically the 747 is, I think they blow it up, right? Yes. And then the space shuttle is just uh, taken away. But it's interesting because as you know, Al, STS-1, which is the shuttle transport system, was launched on April 2nd, 1981. And this film, it's two years before that. So we take for granted that, yeah, the space shuttle in, in our lifetime is everything we saw. This is very eye-opening. And I was even surprised they did some, like, realistic things. I thought they were going to, like, make the space shuttle just launch by itself. And this, for people, must have been the first look at the exciting new space shuttle. Because the last men to go on the moon was like 1972, 1973. The space shuttle was a real exciting thing because it was supposed to be the reusable airplane that they were going to put up and down, but it didn't really work out that way. I mean, exciting for certain people. (laughs) What's the word for those kinds of people? Oh, yeah. Humans. Humans. Nerds. (laughs) Giant, stinking, honking nerds. Yes, yes, yes. But we meet M, and someone's like, where's Bond? Where's 007? And M says, he's on his last leg, which, you know, could mean he's he's fighting something, and he's he's got a little bit of energy left, and he's almost dead, but no. No, it means he's grabbing a flight attendant's leg, but very quickly, she's like, no, wait, I'm a bad guy. And they're on a plane, and then all of a sudden, Jaws is there, who's one of the very few recurring like goons right. in in the Bond series. Uh, he was introduced in The Spy Who Loved Me, which came before this movie. But they shove Bond out of the plane, and he doesn't have a parachute. And then he kind of like makes himself go all straight to like catch up to the other guy who does have the parachute. And then, of course, after Bond gets the parachute from that guy, then Jaws follows suit and he's able to catch up to Bond and they fight a little bit. But Bond releases his parachute, so he's okay. And then Jaws doesn't have a parachute. Oh, God. And he crashes into a circus tent and lives. We'll get into more stuff that happens with Jaws later on in the movie, but I think this opening scene sort of establishes the fact that Jaws is immortal. Like, he literally cannot be killed. Yeah, and Jaws is played by an actor named Richard Keel. Do you know what unbelievable role, and when I tell you this, you're going to go, oh, of course that's him. Do you know what role that we know him best for? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to say one quote of his. Yeah, and I'll be waiting for you in the parking lot. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's the big, crazy, scary guy from Happy Gilmore. Oh. That's Jaws. Doesn't that make perfect sense? Oh, yeah. I think I did know that. Happy Gilmore is one of those movies I don't think I've seen in like 20 years. You know that Adam Sandler, or I don't know if he had enough clout at, at Happy Gilmore, but whoever the casting person was, was like, 
can we still find that guy Jaws? Like, what's he up to today? And, and, and yeah, it turns out he was available. Mm. Uh, yeah, so then we have the theme song. The name of the song is Moonraker, uh, performed by Shirley Bassey, who had previously done the themes for Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever. You oh, because I remember Diamonds Are Forever. I mean, she can really belt out a tune and a perfect for a James Bond uh, theme. Is she famous? Yeah. Otherwise from this? What, what, what is she known for? I mean, I think she's very well known for these James Bond themes. She's got some other hits. I Nothing comes to mind right now. But that's very different than today. Because think about the, the Bond uh, ones today. You got, uh, you got Adele. Uh, this new one is done by Billie Eilish. And you also, uh, Madonna did one for Pierce Brosnan. You had Soundgarden or Chris Cornell, Chris Cornell. did one of them. I mean... Today, they get huge stars to do it. They also just wouldn't have the same person do multiple themes. Absolutely. Uh, But the shuttle was owned by this guy named Drax. So Bond goes to talk to Drax because, you know, it was his space shuttle that was stolen. And England needs to apologize because they were borrowing his shuttle and then it got hijacked. And obviously, he's going to be upset So Bond flies to L.A. and then he's picked up at LAX by this woman named Corinne who takes him on a helicopter over to the Drax estate there on the helicopter. They're having a totally normal, casual conversation without headsets, which you cannot do except in a Bond movie because that literally happened in Thunderball, as we talked about last week. I just caught that again. I'm like, all right, I guess that works for Sean Connery or Roger Moore. You can talk to someone in a helicopter. And Drax, immediately, the second you see him, you're like, oh, he's the villain. Right. Does Drax, who's uh, played by an actor, Michael Lonsdale, did he remind you of somebody? Peter Dinklage? Absolutely. He's an average, typical-sized uh, man, but he looks like uh, Peter Dinklage in, like, Elf. That's who I think. When he's that children's book author, say Elf one more time and I'll kill you. You know, that guy. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely has that angry look and he's got like the sharp features and the, the beard and everything oh the widow's peak like the evil widow's peak in the middle of his forehead yeah yeah instantly you know he's the villain and they do this in a bunch of other bond films where like right away you know bond goes to talk to someone and it's the bad guy and you're pretty sure it's a bad guy and then immediately your suspicions are confirmed when he says to his right hand man See that some harm comes to Mr. Bond. Yeah, they do this in a lot of the older Bond films, where, where James Bond sort of infiltrates their, their group, always calling himself James Bond for some reason. He never picks a new name. He does sometimes, actually. And then he lives on their compound with them. And they try to kill him several times, but he never really leaves. Like, he's still sleeping in, the, in their mansion, apparently. Like, he does this a lot. License to kill. It's the same thing. He, like, lives with the drug dealers, but... Several attempts to kill him, and he doesn't do anything. It's it's very odd. But then we meet another character, this doctor. So, you know, Bond's excited to meet him and share the knowledge that he can tell about uh, astrophysics and, and the shuttle. But there's something very odd about this guy. Well, what's odd about this doctor that, that Roger Moore's like, what, what, what? Well, Dr. Goodhead is a woman. Bond is, like, flabbergasted that a woman could be a doctor. But, I mean— the sheer fact that her name is Dr. Goodhead should have been a tip-off that it would be a, a female. I because- assume her father is Mr. Goodhead. 
I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily true, especially considering we find out later that she's a CIA spy. So maybe it's a made up name. True. But, you know, James Bond has encountered women with names like that. Did Octopussy come out before this? Oh, uh, yeah. Pussy galore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he shouldn't have been that surprised for multiple reasons. But then Dr. Goodhead shows him that centrifuge space simulator thing. And for absolutely no reason, they're like, oh, why don't you just get strapped in here and go zooming around the room? Because maybe it will be fun. Maybe it will help you find the space shuttle that was stolen. What? How? Why? Not only does she say, try it out, but you try this out and I'm going to walk away now. So right. she walks away and like the number two uh, henchman for Drax like just turns it up to 11, let's just say. Yeah, and he's powerless to stop this, but he is able to eventually use one of his Q gadgets and shoot something out of his cufflink, which stops it. And he's able to save himself. This Again, reminded me of a scene in Thunderball when Bond is just strapped in and very nearly killed. In Thunderball, he passes out and is just saved. In this movie, he saves himself. So I guess that's a slight improvement. Um, Later on, he's talking with Corinne again, the woman who took him on the helicopter. And she is showing Bond like all of these secret files. He's in her room and she's saying like, My mother gave me a list of things to not do on a first date. And it's like, well, hold on. This isn't a date. This is just a guy came into your room. And then Bond is like, well, what about your mother's list? And she says, I can't read or like, I I don't read or something like that. It's like, wait, she's illiterate? Like what? It's a little weird. It's very, very, very weird. Yeah, it's odd. Do you remember the old Batman show? No, never watched it. You really never watched the Adam West ones? I mean, like, maybe bits and pieces here or there, but I I was not a fan. Probably not because it was incredibly tacky, right? Like, he'd be like, ah, here's my bat spray to get rid of sharks, which was a real thing in the Batman movie. Um, And it reminded me of something there because... Corinne is showing some blueprints of Drax's shuttles and Bond decides to take some pictures of these uh, blueprints. Did you notice the camera he was taking a picture of? Well, I mean, just the sheer fact that it's like a super cool spy camera gadget. That's fine. Well, I mean, it's fine, but it's funny that like, you know, now all of us carry a camera in our pockets. That's, I'm sure, a million times better resolution than that goofy thing he was carrying. But the camera had 007 on it. Yes, I did notice that. Right. And that's why I bring up the Batman thing. I'm like, it has to be like the Bond camera because I'm Bond. Like, there's a number of cheesy things like that in this. Yeah. Um, Bond is there. Drax knows he's a spy. I'm not sure if Bond knows Drax is evil here, but he's just toying with him. They're doing a pheasant hunt, which is sort of like, a, you know, a skeet shooting, but instead of clay pigeons, it's actual birds. And there's a sniper about to take out James Bond. And... I assume these are like shotguns or something, you know, to uh, shoot some pepper out, right? I have no idea. But either way, Bond, when, when like they release the birds instead of uh, shooting at the birds, somehow Bond sees this sniper like a quarter mile away and he shoots with the pheasant gun and kills this guy, which, which is probably not accurate considering that kind of gun can't shoot more than like, you know, 50 feet away. Maybe. But to me, the weirder thing about that is why is Drax trying to kill Bond like this? I mean, 
we get it that Drax is evil, but like, what's the cover story going to be that the guy who came to help recover his stolen space shuttle died in a freak hunting accident right. or died in a freak centrifuge accident? Like, what's your end game here, Drax? Like, you want to get rid of Bond so that he's not snooping around. That's one thing. But by trying to kill him, you are making him more suspicious of you. It's just a very poor strategy. But then the next thing Drax does is he has Corinne, who, you know, had showed Bond some of these files. He has her killed and not just shot like he was planning to do to Bond. He has her hunted down by these hunting dogs who you presume eat her alive. Oh, yeah. It's grotesque. And... Like in Thunderball, it's this thing that like these Bond movies are criticized for where it treats these women as just totally expendable sex objects that Bond comes in, sleeps with, and then they are horrifically murdered. And like he doesn't care. He doesn't even know. He just leaves like two seconds before this happens. And it's like, ugh, like did you have to kill her that horribly? Like saying that Drax looks like Peter Dinklage. I mean, like having this woman eaten by the dogs is also very Game of Thrones. Oh, I totally thought of uh, that scene. So Bond leaves the Drax compound in California. He goes to Venice because of uh, something he saw on the blueprints. While he's there, he gets in this gondola chase in Venice because, you know, it's Venice. And they have this like sped up footage again, like we saw in Thunderball, which just looks like garbage. I mean, they literally just speed up the film to make the chase look more intense, but it doesn't work. It just looks like a cheap effect. And then, of course, to kind of end in, in sort of a 70s Bond fashion, the gondola isn't just any gondola. It's uh, an MI6 gondola, presumably made by Q, and the gondola suddenly has uh, wheels. So he drives into the main piazza, and he's like, Oh, lovely day. Sorry, folks. It's very Roger Moore-ish. It's like, James Bond, you can't drive a car through Venice. Right. Uh, but if anyone can, it's him. Uh, so he gets back into this like secret lair that Drax has in Venice. And when they're going through this uh, base, they have to enter uh, a keypad. And did you notice anything about the keypad? No. It's like musical tones. And Bond's able to hear this tone from down the hallway. So when the random henchmen get into the secret room, he's able to just punch the same notes here. And it was... Oh, yes, it did sound a lot like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's exactly like that. And Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out, like, the year before. Oh, that is not cool. But a musical lock is the most insecure thing possible. I mean, to Drax's credit, it doesn't matter because when Bond shows up the next day with, like, all of his bosses in tow and M, you know, to prove that Drax is evil, the room is completely cleaned out. And so it doesn't matter if the good guys break in. If you're that powerful, you can just scrub the whole thing overnight. Yeah. And while he's there, he's attacked by Drax's goon again. There's a scene that happens earlier where they're, like, getting a tour of all of this glass and... The tour guide is like, this bowl is valued at like $3 million or something like that. And while Bond and the goon are having this fight scene in that room, at one point Bond like goes to like take that bowl and throw it at the guy. And then he's like, 
nah, I really shouldn't. It's like an ancient bull and it's worth millions of dollars. And then two seconds later, the other guy just smashes into it. That made me laugh. I thought that was pretty funny. It was funny. And I'll give it credit. This film is 20 years earlier than it. But did this remind you of a more modern film? No, what do you mean? Rush Hour. There's a scene when they're just fighting and Jackie Chan just keeps saving these like ancient Chinese vases. Yes, yes, yes. So it reminds me of that. And when he throws this guy out of the window and he crashes into a piano. Do you remember what, uh, what slick line Roger Moore says to him? Yeah, he says, play it again, Sam. Which is a reference to Casablanca, except in Casablanca, he says, play it, Sam. You're right. I didn't, I, I'm glad you know that. I know things about movies. I do host a movie podcast. It's one of those, uh, you know, Luke, I am your father was never said. Beat me up, Scotty. That's never said in any of the uh, original series shows. It's just one of those things we think was said. And play it against Sam. You're correct. It's not said in Casablanca. But there is a Woody Allen play called Play It Against Sam, which might be what he's referring to, but it's definitely not. He's referring to the wrong Casablanca line. Um And yeah, then Bond finds Dr. Goodhead in Venice. And hey, that's a coincidence. And why are you here where I'm following up on this lead? He puts two and two together. She's CIA. And they put something else together. Their genitals. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That is the least suave way to describe sex ever. Sorry, you said they put two and two together, but okay, yeah. So they, uh, th- this, I guess, this would be the third person he's slept with because you, I- I'm going to assume he slept with that flight attendant in the in the beginning. Well, in the movie, we don't see that. We only see him putting his hand on her leg. I'm assuming they did. Okay, you know, it's interesting because now we go to Rio de Janeiro. And there is a test of time thing here. And usually, as our listeners know, test of time is like, oh, look at them. They're using a computer with punch cards. How outdated is that? If only they had a cell phone, which we all have today. We're so much more advanced than them. This was a very interesting test of time thing. I don't know if you noticed. Did you notice that there was a test of time thing that it's more advanced than technology we have today? No, what are you talking about? Did you notice how they got to Rio de Janeiro? They took a British Airways uh plane a very special british airways plane only british airways and air france had this airplane the concorde right so there was a supersonic passenger jet that basically would fly from new york to london in like i don't know an hour and a half or something and it was beautiful like the cone went down it was this gorgeous thing but we do not have supersonic uh, passenger jets i don't even think rich people have supersonic jets to fly on why not well i mean everything was first class it was apparently a who's who when you went on there you were guaranteed like madonna or you know the ceo of uh, jp morgan was going to be on it and then i think it was like 2000 or so there was a horrible accident and the concord blew up right after taking off from the runway and i remember like the people on board it wasn't like a major celebrities but there was like an entire like group of like the world's leading hiv researchers and like the world like went like 10 years behind because of that and a lot of really rich people died on it and my guess is that the concord didn't make any money or otherwise American Airlines would have had them and stuff. I think it was kind of a loss leader or maybe like a prestige thing. But I think that was the last slice. And they're like, all right, that's done with it. Interesting. Interesting. Um, While they're in Rio, Bond and Dr. Goodhead meet up with Jaws again. 
There's a big fight scene on the gondola. I assume that's going up to um, Christ the Redeemer. I don't think you see the statue in this. No, we don't see it. And of course, we mean by gondola, we mean like the ski lift. Uh, yes, guide, yes. We had the other gondola. Then. Yes, that, that is a very good point. There are two different gondola chases yes. in this movie. Yeah. Um, the big giant cable car, maybe that's a better word. But I remembered the scene kind of because I remembered Jaws like chewing through the cable because, you know, he's got the metal teeth. That's why they call him Jaws. But he really doesn't do that much. He just kind of like takes like one little bite and then he like goes on the other cable car and like goes over and they like fight on top of it. The way I remembered it in my head was that like he bites all the way through it and that like breaks the cable, but that's not what happens. I was thinking exactly the same thing as you. I'm like, oh, he's going to bite the wire that holds the cable car. This is going to be like out of Spider-Man 1. Yes. Where, where the Green Goblin is, you know, holding the cable car. But I think he like bites the power cable or something to it. And it's a weird scene. It is. It is very weird. But Bond and Dr. Goodhead, I guess I could call her Holly, but it's just funnier to keep calling her Dr. Goodhead. Mm-hmm. Um, Bond and Goodhead, they get away. But also in the scene, Jaws finds, like, a girl that he likes who just has, like, pigtails and, you know, big glasses and big teeth. And she smiles and then Jaws smiles at her. And it's this very bizarre moment. But Bond and Goodhead are captured. They're in, like, an ambulance. They're being, like, transported somewhere by Drax's goons. And they get separated. There's a boat chase scene where Jaws is after Bond and they both go over this waterfall but Bond has like a hang glider thing so he's okay Jaws goes over the waterfall in nothing but like I said earlier he's immortal he cannot be killed so he's fine right and this is a common trope in the in the Roger Moore films it's campy yes It is absolutely campy where a guy who's facing imminent death has like a look on his face of like, "Uh uh-oh, and it's fine because, yeah, he is going to show up in the next scene. Yeah, and Bond, he takes this uh, this hand glider. He's, like, flying through the Amazon rainforest over it. He kind of crashes the hand glider, but he meets this absolutely gorgeous uh, woman, and he just— no speaking, he kind of just follows her. And well, then there's like another one. Well, the reason he follows them is because he knows they're connected to Drax. These are all women he saw earlier at the compound in California. So he shows up in this like weird lair that looks right out of uh, Austin Powers. You know, th- <laughs> this is totally Dr. Evil's lair. The only animal I'm scared of, I'm not, I don't care about bugs and all that stuff and then scary rodents don't bother me, snakes. I'm terrified of snakes. And there is a scene where when he meets these beautiful women, he's kind of just smiling at them. They're smiling back at him. They press a button and the rock he's standing on uh, springs up and Bond is thrown into uh, like a little pond. And then an enormous like 15 foot boa constrictor uh, goes into the water. And the thing wraps around Bond. It's constricting him. It's, it's really scary. And then Bond is able to use like his uh, wrist dart. And I don't think it kills him. I think it like puts him to sleep. I think that snake is dead. I'm going to choose that it's not, even though I hate snakes. I mean, you're, you're kind of like Indiana Jones. That's the only thing you're afraid of? Snakes? Yes. It's really the only animal I'm afraid of. Interesting. How often do you encounter them? I had a uh, very scary encounter with a copperhead snake as a child, and that pretty much traumatized me. A copperhead snake? 
You know what a copperhead snake is? Uh, I mean, are they poisonous? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's one of the only poisonous snakes that you'll find in like the northeast of the uh, United States. Oh, okay. Um, Dr. Goodhead is there, and Drax says that he's going to kill them. His plan is to have them go like underneath the shuttle as it's launching, so you know they'll be fried to a crisp. But first, Bond asks the question that I've been thinking for the last like hour and a half of this movie, which hasn't been addressed at all, which is, why did Drax steal his own spaceship? And I was happy when Bond asked that question. I was like, okay, good. We're finally going to get a good reason. Nope, we don't get a good reason. The answer is, I wanted it back. Like, that's it? That's your reason? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it was a little anticlimactic. A little anticlimactic. Uh, But, yeah, so, so Bond and Goodhead, they are able to escape, and they get on one of the Moonraker shuttles because there are six. There were only going to be five, but luckily Drax stole the sixth one, which is what started this whole thing. But while Bond and Goodhead are on their way to space, which, by the way, is like an hour and a half into this movie. Like, it takes its time before they get to space. I think that was fair. I did not want to see an entire film in space. Maybe as a kid I kind of wanted to, but knowing the technology of 1979, I knew save us till the end. Fair point. But while they're on the shuttle, Bond sees that there are these gorgeous couples, like all the gorgeous women he saw before, they are paired with these very good-looking men. And he makes a comment that it's like Noah's Ark. Two by two they went or something like that. And Bond also knows that Drax is cultivating this rare orchid flower that kills humans but leaves plants and animals alone. He discovered that earlier. We kind of glossed over that. But he still doesn't seem to understand Drax's plan because Drax sends out these like two capsules filled with this poison towards Earth. And Bond is like, ho-hum, doesn't really say anything, doesn't really do anything. He's not like, oh, my God, we have to get those. Then while they're on the space shuttle, Drax finally admits his plan in true Bond villain fashion and says, I'm planning to kill every living human on Earth, but not the plants and the animals because I like them. And I'm going to start a new race here in space and then we'll go back down to Earth. And Bond is like, wait, that's your plan? It's like, dude, you really needed him to spell it out that clearly. You couldn't figure that out. It's pretty clear that what the plan is. You are a terrible, terrible spy. I find it just very interesting. It's a, it's a eugenics. It's not your typical megalomaniac of, I just want to take over the world or destroy America or get rich or something. It's, it's thought out. I mean, it's totally psychotic, but I, I thought it was at least interesting. I guess. I mean, he wants to create a master race. It's very Hitler-esque. Uh, no, no, no. There were all races on there. At first, I only saw white people, and I'm like, that's a little weird. There were a lot of different races on there. They were all gorgeous, but they were they were all different races. Okay. But also, Drax is like, I'm going to create a new race in my image. doesn't seem like he has a, a girlfriend right. there, which maybe he's gay. It's just never addressed. I just was wondering about that. But meanwhile, Bond and Goodhead have sabotaged the radio jammer. So somehow NASA now sees all these Moonraker satellites and this big station that's orbiting the Earth. And they send some like Marines or something to go intercept it. 
I guess space marines if only the space force had existed back then I mean it's very very odd that like immediately NASA is able to send up like 50 soldiers like on a moment's notice they go into space and you see them like all popping out of the shuttle and then the good guys start shooting at the bad guys with lasers that make this exact sound pew 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 I mean, that's exactly what they sound like. That's pretty accurate. And why is that inaccurate, Al? Uh, Because lasers are silent. Where are they silent? Just like everything else. In space? That's correct. Because as we know, what's the tagline to Alien? In space, no one cares about your stupid, dumb space facts, James. (laughs) That is the tagline. Yes, yes, yes. And this space station was under, they don't use the word stealth, but that's what they would have used today. This is enormous. I will tell you right now, you take a telescope, like not even that big a telescope, you can see the International Space Station. Like this is like the size of Yankee Stadium, this thing. I mean, this thing is, it's enormous that you can see this thing from Earth. You definitely can see this thing from Earth. Yeah, that's a good point. I just thought it was, what, radar jamming? It's this huge gold and white thing in the sky maybe i'm looking too much into it but i thought that was weird no that that is a good point actually and for me to say that because i hate all of your space point (laughs) things but that that is a good point you want more space facts no i do not i definitely 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 do not i I will say the one thing that while there's this laser fight between the good guys and bad guys there's some guys that die on both sides there's one guy that seems to like fall into the sun did you notice that guy no like he's like spinning no and he looks like he tumbles into the sun. You don't like see him like blow up in a puff, but it's like he's he's not gonna like go that much further from Earth, <laughs> right? I mean, this whole scene once again reminded me a lot of the ending of Thunderball. Oh yeah, with just like good guys and bad guys like shooting each other with harpoon guns underwater. Now it's laser guns in space. But isn't it amazing how 1960 something Thunderball? It's just. Scuba diving, underwater. And I know what they were going for. And I I feel like in 1979, I think people were blown away by this scene. I think in 1979, I think people loved it. Maybe. Meanwhile, back on the space station, Bond does something smart for like the first time (laughs) in this movie when he says that, oh, well, you're creating this master race. The less desirable people, you're not really going to have a place for them in your new society. And he's saying that to Drax, but who he's really talking to is Jaws because Jaws is there with his new girlfriend. And basically, Bond is saying, these guys don't want you, you two breeding. You may think you're part of this team, but they're going to get rid of you as soon as they can. And Bond gets through to Jaws, who instantly at that moment becomes a good guy and decides to help and, you know, joins Bond and Goodhead and, like, helps them overtake Drax. Oh, yeah, and they're fighting their way through the station. There's an awful line. Maybe I don't get it, but there's a line where Dr. Goodhead, she punches out some villain, and Bond goes, where'd you learn to fight like that? NASA? And do you remember what her response is? Yes. What does she say? No, Vassar. I mean, do I not get it? So Vassar, for people that don't know, it's it's this good school. It's known to be kind of artsy. Uh, very smart people go there. 
you would think maybe this is like a fighting school, like a big football school. I learned at Vassar. I learned at Ohio State. Frat parties. It, it's no. a liberal arts college, right? It's a liberal arts college. It's probably one of the places where there were major, I'd guess, major protests in, in the 70s and uh, for, for the war and everything. I mean, anytime I hear the word Vassar, I only think of the joke on The Simpsons where Lisa says something like, I'll end up at some like second rate school like Vassar and then Homer gets really angry and says I've had just about enough of your Vassar bashing young lady which is just one of those like stupid non sequiturs that I find hilarious on The Simpsons right. um, but yeah it, it's a random line but Bond and Drax fight each other he uh, releases Drax into the vacuum of space and kills him and then the line he says is to Drax he goes why don't you take a giant step for mankind do you know what he's uh, referring to there? I mean, that's a reference to uh, Neil Armstrong and the first steps on the moon. Yeah, but he says it wrong. You know why it's wrong. A small step for man, a giant leap for mankind. Yeah, a leap, yeah. Right. I mean, of all the things that this movie gets wrong, I, I just put it on the list. But that's one of the most famous quotes in human history. If you're going to make a pun of it, just say giant leap for mankind. Or or he should have let him go and go, well, that's one big step for a man. You know, something. It just seemed uh, odd. Bond misquotes Casablanca and Neil Armstrong in one movie. Right. Bond and Goodhead are trying to escape, but their Moonraker shuttle is connected to the big station and they're trapped. But then they have Jaws kind of like help them because Jaws is now a good guy who loves Bond, even though he's tried to murder him like 17 times already. But yeah, so Bond and Goodhead are released, and they do have a throwaway line that Jaws and the girlfriend are going to be okay. They're not just going to, like, die up in space, so don't worry about them, because we like them now. Also, all of the good guys, there's been, like, a laser fight in the space station as well. Presumably, a lot of the good guys have escaped. They say that, like, oh, you guys just, like, go ahead and we'll meet you or something. I don't think any of the Noah's Ark people survive. I think they're all killed. Oh, um, so much for the master race then. Yeah. Um, but it's not over yet because before Drax died, remember he had released three of these uh, probes that were going to you know crash in different parts of the world and kill like 100 million people each. Right. So um, they take this shuttle and it's Drax's shuttle. And Drax's shuttle is specially uh, equipped with lasers on the space shuttle. Sure. Why not? So remember when I told you that the space shuttle is basically a flying brick, meaning it just falls down into Earth? I mean, I, it sounds vaguely familiar. I kind of was tuning it out, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, Bond is able, with no space shuttle training whatsoever, he's able to maneuver this thing like an X-wing through the Death Star Trench. No, he did have training. Remember when he was spinning around in the thing really, really, really fast? That's true. I stand corrected. So using his extensive training, <laughs> exactly. he's able to take the space shuttle and it blows up all three of the probes and... It's a little anticlimactic because it's not like he like uses something clever to blow it up. It's like, James, you only have one shot left. Steady, steady, got it. Yeah, he does say steady very dramatically a couple of times. But then the movie ends the only way it possibly can with Bond and Goodhead having sex in space. I mean, it had to happen. I do love the last pun when the guys on Earth in NASA are like, What's Bond up to now? I think he's attempting re-entry. <laughs> that, that, that was good. That's that was so good. funny. Bond has one last pawn, actually, that ends the movie. 
Because that's what uh, M or M or Q says that. M, on, M, M says that. And then Bond, when we go back to them on, on the space shuttle, because they're having like zero G sex too. And he goes, let's go around the world one more time, shall we? No, doesn't Goodhead say that? Maybe she says it. Yeah, okay. I think Goodhead says, says uh, take me around the world one more time, which also means sex. The re-entry line was funnier, I thought. Oh, yeah, no, it's, def- it's definitely funnier. So we've come to the end of Moonraker. James Brief, what do you think about this James Bond movie? Does it stand the test of time? You know, it's an interesting film because I had never seen this before. And most of the Bond films, there's a lot of outdated Cold War stuff and stuff that just relies on technology that just everything is just a phone today. But I think this would be a fascinating film to remake. Today, like, I would think of an Elon Musk guy. I own a space company. That's why I have six space shuttles, you know. Um, I thought the special effects were going to be horrible. Now, the Zero-G stuff was actually better than I thought it was going to be. It was not as good as that famous scene in 2001 where they're walking around the space station upside down and stuff. But it was pretty good. Um, the sound effects were horrible. But, <laughs> but the visual effects, really not that bad. Um I think the eugenics thing is a really serious uh, motivation for a Bond villain, as opposed to most Bond villains. Even all the Daniel Craig ones are just kind of like, oh, we're just a shadowy organization bent on money and stuff. This one had an interesting villain, but it's so campy. I like Jaws, the actor. I don't like him in this film. He's not scary. He dies six times in this film, but doesn't die. Right. I, I really like, really like that uh, the way that James Bond saves the day is by enlisting Jaws. I thought that was very good. I thought that was very nice, but you know that this Jaws girl? She's beautiful. She looks like she's straight out of the sound of music with like yes. blonde pigtails, but she has glasses, which right. is a no-no in 1979. So obviously she's so ugly. Take that girl's glasses off, her braids are fine, but I guarantee you, undo her braids and everything, she's good looking. Right. And it was just yeah, a little of that. But there were things I really didn't like in it. There are things I did like in it, but today, um, it just doesn't stand out. I think this, of most of the Bond films I've seen, I think this will be a fantastic remake. Cut out the 70s campy stuff. They'd have to modernize it with an Elon Musk kind of character. But... There's a lot of things in this film that work. I think they're a different director and uh, a different screenplay. And you know, I think all the actors are fine. I, I think this guy uh, that plays Drax, is, I think he's very good. I think he's he's imposing. He acts well. I, I like a lot of the stuff. It just doesn't come together very well. In this particular iteration of this director and this particular screenplay, I don't know if the novel's any good. I'm going to guess it is because... Fleming, you know, has written 25 novels by this point. And for me, this one doesn't hold up, but don't skip this one because it's a Roger Moore film and it it is cheesy and campy. But if you like that kind of Bond film, I think you will enjoy it, but it's just not good enough anymore. It's just one of those films that actually just, just falls apart because of the modern day. I think this film was good until about probably the early 90s I think is probably when it stopped I think probably Pierce Brosnan showed that uh, the campy Bond the Timothy Dalton and uh, to a little extent the Sean Connery's just doesn't hold up I'm not as big a fan of this anymore but I enjoyed this film a little bit but it just doesn't hold up in terms of a spy film what do you think Al? I mean I agree with what you're saying the the whole campy tone of a lot of the Roger Moore movies doesn't really work for me 
it's not pure satire where it's just meant to be laugh out loud funny. It's supposed to be kind of serious at parts and kind of have these like real high stakes about a guy who wants to murder millions of people or billions, I guess, in this case. But you're just kind of like making jokes where the lady's name is Goodhead (laughs) and making wrong Casablanca references and, and stuff like that. And Jaws, who, like you said, yeah, I mean, like, has these wily coyote moments where he goes over a cliff, but he's fine. It doesn't work. It also doesn't work as a spy movie because James Bond doesn't do any real investigating. I mean, he takes those pictures of the blueprints in the beginning of the movie. He follows that lead. That's kind of about it. He's not really, like, investigating. He doesn't put Drax's plan together. Why does Drax steal his own shuttle? That really annoys me that, like, it doesn't make any sense. The fact that the hero and the villain are just kind of, like, buddies in the beginning, but, like, trying to kill each other, but eh, it's okay. I'll get you in two hours because I can't get you right now. It just doesn't make sense. Also, the fact is that I just watched Thunderball, and obviously these movies came out 14 years apart, so for audiences at the time, there was a a large gap. I honestly don't remember all of the movies in between that well. I remember little flashes of bits and pieces here and there. I don't know that all of them were exactly like this, but this feels really reminiscent of the movie we watched last week. And it's kind of annoying that these movies in this franchise are that similar, even though it's a different decade and a different actor and a whole different iteration of Bond. It's really very, very similar. And also all the other things about the treating women as disposable characters that Bond sleeps with and then are gruesomely murdered. All those criticisms are valid. And yeah, this movie does not stand the test of time for me. To say something nice, I guess the theme song's okay. Not my favorite, Uh, but it just doesn't work on a lot of levels. You know, we didn't mention this, but coming out in 1979, I don't even know if Fleming's novel, when that came out, but the movie is 100% inspired by a certain small film that came out a couple years earlier. Oh, yeah. It's truly trying to cash in on Star Wars. I think it was supposed to be a different Bond movie that came out at this time, like, you know, in this slot but then after star wars they switched Ah. things and they moved moonraker up and then you know whatever movie was supposed to go next came later on because at the end of the bond movies they say like james bond will return in you know they used to say the title right Um, and i think after the spy who loved me which came out in 77 i think it was supposed to be for your eyes only but then they switched it to moonraker because of star wars this was totally to get some of that sweet Star Wars money, for sure. And it worked out. I mean, they made a ton of money. That being said, I I don't think it would have helped them to wait five, seven more years. The technology wouldn't have been any better that they would have done in 1985 than than this film. No, I think that's fair. Um, I do also remember in the GoldenEye game when you could have the Moonraker laser gun. That was kind of cool. Yeah, that's right, that's right. But we'll talk more about that game next week when we discuss the movie that inspired it, GoldenEye. It's the first Pierce Brosnan Bond movie and the first 1990s Bond movie. So excited to talk about that. Until then, we want to hear your thoughts about Moonraker and James Bond and Jaws and all of these things. Or any space facts you want to share with us. Just send those to James. I mean, you don't need to involve Test of Time Pod, which is our handle on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
And uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.